Hey, podcast family, we are picking up where we left off on part one. We are continuing the amazing history of C-section, starting with the rebirth of antisepsis. Let's get to that now. All right, so remember that in 1847, one of us, an obstetrician, led the charge for washing hands in the maternity ward in Vienna. That, of course, was Ignis Samowice. But he was booted out of medicine. He was called a quack, and he died in shame. That's terrible. 1847. But he was onto something. Posthumous. That's why Samwise has now been credited as the savior of women because he was right, but it would take 20 years before germ theory became a thing. Oddly, exactly 20 years after Samwise's hand washing concept, Joseph Lister, because of his pioneering work, introduced carbolic spray in the OR. The spray in the operating room kept the atmosphere above the wound free of bacteria and away from the open cavities. With improvements in technique and general safety, obstetricians increasingly moved towards performing the C-section earlier rather than waiting for exhaustion of the mother. Practitioners like Robert Harris in the U.S., Thomas Bradford in England, and Franz Wickel in Germany argued for an earlier resort operation rather than the operation of last resort. Now, let me put something in perspective real quick and kind of freak you out a little bit. We're at 1867, okay? We're going to wrap this up here in just a few minutes. But remember, when Joseph Lister introduced this idea of carbolic spray, surgeons were still not wearing gloves in the OR. Yep, it was barehanded because gloves weren't a thing until close to 1900. And so we're going to cover that in just a minute. But remember, even though antisepsis and carbolic spray is in the room, yep, physicians, surgeons are still using their bare hands to do the surgery. That's pretty gross. The technique of cesarean section was largely unchanged until the 1870s. It was generally believed that suturing the uterine wall was just not necessary after hysterotomy. Fleetwood Churchill, a British obstetrician, wrote in 1872, quote, No sutures are required in the uterus because as it contracts, the wound would be reduced to about one to two inches and the lips of the incision would come to opposition if it's healthy, end quote. Well, that explains why most women died of bleeding and infection after C-section because the hysterotomy was left open. This takes us to 1876, when another physician, Eduardo Poro, had an idea. Well, if the uterus is bleeding, why don't we just take the uterus out? And he described the first cesarean hysterectomy. Just remove it. That was his idea. In 1876, Eduardo Poro, who was professor of obstetrics at Pavia and later Milan, advocated hysterectomy during a cesarean section to control uterine hemorrhage and prevent peritonitis. This procedure contributed to improve maternal mortality, but of course, it reduced a woman's fertility. Well, it made her sterile. Cesarean section was growing worldwide at this time. Another case was reported in 1879 in Africa, where the healer was reported to use fruit wine to anesthetize his patients. Then, in 1882, a big change for C-sections occurred. This is where uterine closure was introduced. 
in 1882, two German physicians, two German obstetricians. The first was Adolf Kehrer, that is K E H R E R, and Max Sanger independently developed two methods for closing the uterine wound using sutures made of silver wire. Now let's review these two physicians real quick. Kehrer, K E H R E R, was the forerunner to. Kerr, where we get the low transversy section, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. And then Max Sanger is Sanger from the vertical or the classical C section. Now remember, these two physicians in 1882 started advocating for closing the uterus after C section with suture made of silver wire. These sutures were a new material developed by the U.S. obstetrician J. Marion Sims. Sims, who indeed is a controversial figure because of his surgical experimentation on three of his slaves, advocated the sutures to treat vaginal tears or fistulas from traumatic childbirth. Sims had silver wire prepared by a jeweler, and again, this was between 1845 to 1849, and he recorded their use again, likely without the consent of these poor slave women, to close vesicovaginal fistula. But silver wire was now a thing as suture material. Sanger maintained that suturing was essential at hysterotomy, and that silver material produced little tissue reaction. Sanger performed the traditional vertical uterine incision, now called the classical C-section, whereas Kerr advocated a low transverse incision at the level of the internal cervical os. This later became the Kerr incision, named after another physician, but who followed Kerr's instructions. All right, hang in there, podcast family, because we're almost to modern times. This brings us to 1888 with Murdoch Cameron. This was an obstetrician in Scotland who performed a C-section on a very complicated patient with dwarfism and had excellent results. He noted that the frequent and inappropriate use of forceps in the second stage of labor resulted in poorer outcomes than when cesarean section was ultimately performed earlier on during the labor process. So, through the combination of anesthesia. Through asepsis and suturing of the uterine wall, the maternal mortality rate with C-section dropped dramatically. At the beginning of the 19th century, it was 65 to 75 percent mortality, but by the end of the 19th century, it had dropped down to 5 to 10 percent. Still high, obviously, but a drastic improvement compared to what it was in the early 1800s. Ooh, now we get to a good part because the famed surgeon William Stewart Halsted, from where we get the traditional Halsted radical mastectomy, that's hardly done anymore. But this is where Halsted actually gave surgeons the gift of surgical gloves in 1894. William Stewart Halsted from the Johns Hopkins Hospital was the first surgeon in chief at that location, and he was credited as the first to develop and introduce rubber surgical gloves in the U.S. All right, so listen to this story. So Halsted, again, who was at Hopkins, fell in love with one of the circulating nurses, and he noticed how badly treated her hands were because she was dipping her hands repeatedly and the instruments in carbolic acid. So, in an effort to win her over, he asked the Goodyear Rubber Company to design rubber gloves for her to protect her hands from the harsh chemicals being used for disinfection. 
And there you go. With that introduction of rubber gloves in the OR, really meant for the nursing staff, surgeons quickly adopted as a way to protect their hands from the harsh chemicals and to keep bacteria or blood off their own hands. Then, in 1916, Cragen issued the dictum, once a cesarean, always a cesarean, fearing the possibility of uterine rupture with subsequent labor. Now, this mantra continued well into the 20th century. Remember, though, that most uterine incisions at that time were vertical on the uterus or Sanger style, but that was about to change. Remember the German physician Keher who advocated for the low transverse uterine incision, but everybody thought he was nuts, so nobody did that? Well, that's back. In 1926, James Monroe Kerr, K-E-R-R, from where we get that low transverse Kerr incision, proposed that we bring this back in favor over the Sanger incision. Kerr was professor of obstetrics at Glasgow, and he said that using a low transverse hysterotomy would just cause less bleeding and less uterine trauma. Of course, he was right, and the Kerr technique is still the preferred route of hysterotomy at C-section today. Now today, experts and thought leaders in obstetrics are still modifying and evolving the cesarean technique. From varied abdominal wall entry techniques to changes in prophylactic antibiotics, the historic operation is still the most common performed worldwide. Well, this brings our walk through history in C-section's amazing past to a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed this brief walk through history. Pretty amazing stuff, huh? From the Goodyear Rubber Company to Ignace Samowais, who wanted people just to wash their hands. We've come a long way, and we still have a lot further to go. Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. <laughs>